Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you take them and turn to Matthew chapter 22 again, one more time. Matthew chapter 22, as we have looked in the last few weeks uh, at the great commandment and what that means to love God and to love other people and what that means in relation to our uh, vision, our statement, and who we are. Uh, by the way, did everybody enjoy the 4th of July this last weekend? Everybody? Uh, we had a great time. Uh, me, you may have remembered last week I mentioned how much I enjoyed uh, fireworks. And uh, I made that statement in the early service and the late service. And, you know, every year we kind of go out to East Texas lately and, and uh, we spend some money on fireworks and we have, you know, a good time around this small lake. And there's actually somewhat of a competition going on with those across the lake, two or three different places across the lake. And so um, every year we do that. I'm never really, really willing to spend a lot of money on that. But last week, someone heard me mention that and came up to me after the service and said, you know, I own five fireworks stands all along I-20. I said, oh, you do? And he said, yes, if you'll stop at one of those and let me know which one they are, I'll take care of you. And I said, well, that's great. I'm thinking I'm going to get a discount of some kind, right? So I, I go and, and uh, stop at this particular stand. He's called his uncle and uh, this uncle sets in front of me hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of fireworks. I mean, hundreds. I put them under my arms, take them back to my truck, and I look in the window where my wife has been sitting, and she's just rolling her eyes at how much fireworks I have. <laughs> and so we go home, and not one night, but two nights worth of fireworks we had to celebrate with. I've got burns all over my hands, but I had a great, great time popping those fireworks on the 4th of July. And I didn't have any of my children with me. That's the crazy thing about it, is that that, you know, you like this no matter how young or how old you are. But I hope you had a special 4th of July. We certainly did as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in uh, verse 36 in just a moment. Let me just tell you the story before we begin. The title of the message is, As You Go, Adopt People. Adopt People. As you go, as you make disciples, adopt people. When I was in college, I played basketball in college, and when I went to college, it was for that sole reason. In fact, my first semester in college was a very bad semester academically because I didn't get the idea that if you didn't make the grade, you can't keep your scholarship up, right? So my coach enlightened me about three-fourths of the way through that first semester that if you don't bring your GPA up, you will not be on the basketball team anymore. And that was news to me. I just didn't know it worked like that. So I was somewhat naive in that way. And, uh, but as I progressed and stayed, managed to stay in, played basketball my first year there, uh, ended up playing all four years there, a man began to approach me about having a Bible study. This guy's name was Bob Burgess. He was well-known on the campus. He was the Baptist student ministry director there. And uh, I wasn't walking closely with the Lord, even though I was a believer. I was kind of living for myself, just trying to pursue a dream of basketball and whatever may happen after that. And it's kind of all about me, but not much about Christ. And this guy somehow saw something that he knew I needed in my life, and he came alongside me. And we began to have a Bible study in my dorm room every week. And that week-by-week week Bible study turned into six weeks and then 12 and then really the whole second semester of my freshman year. And before long, uh, I'd walk through semester after semester of discipleship materials that he had specifically uh, used to help me grow my faith. 
Now, unbeknownst to me, not realizing the connection, I was growing spiritually, not just learning about the Bible, but I was growing spiritually like a rocket. I mean, I was taking off like a rocket, learning to listen to God, learning to hear God's voice, learning to find the direction of God in my life, reading my Bible through for the first time at the age of about 18 or 19, and learning that God really does have a plan for our lives and really is able to answer prayer and all those things. And as I look back, I realized what Bob had done was Bob had adopted me. He had seen me as a young man that needed a spiritual father at that time in my life, and he had adopted me. He just took me under his wing, and he began to challenge me to follow Christ in the way he knew how to follow Christ. I went to Bob's funeral a number of years ago, and in that funeral, the one speaking asked everyone in the building, a building of about 600 people there, and he said, would all of you who have been mentored or discipled by Bob Burgess, would you please stand up? And at that moment, at least half the room stood up. Men who were young men on that campus at some point, whom Bob had taken under his wing, and Bob had adopted them and helped them grow in the faith. And that's a perfect picture of what ought to happen to every new believer or every believer that has failed to grow or failed to launch in the Christian life as they should. I have not looked back now, and that's been 40 plus years ago. All because this man understood what it meant to adopt and pour into me. And that's really what this message is all about today. Would you stand with me as we read the verses that we have begun with and continue with over the last few weeks as we look at just who we are, what we're about, and why it matters. Mark chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 22, excuse me, verse 36 is where we'll begin and read through verse 40. Verse 36 says this. After Jesus has asked a question, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now we're going to ask God to speak to us about how to apply this in our everyday life. Father, today, please illuminate this text and the others that we'll look at today. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll help us see where we fit, how we fit, why it's so important that we have these kinds of relationships with each other inside the body of Christ. Why we look at new believers and not just congratulate them, but come alongside them. Father, show us a vision of that today. Father, show us a vision of why it's so important to engage those that we may not know and may not be in the same circles of. For the purpose of spiritual growth, we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, thank you. Be seated if you would. We have been making statements for years now. We are real people who have found real hope in Jesus Christ, and he shows us that real life. So one of the questions that people have is, what is that real life like? What are we pursuing? If real life is our end goal, what is that real life in reality? And that real life can be summarized as the abundant life Jesus promises us. He says, the thief comes to rob and kill and destroy, John chapter 10. Jesus says that. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, more abundantly than the average life, more abundantly than the life that is lived without purpose and without spiritual insight. I've come to give you a life above and beyond, but that life is really seen in the life of Jesus, and it's also a practice in following Jesus. So that real life is an incredibly important thing for us to do. We've made this statement when it comes to our, 
our strategy for how to bring that about in people's life, we've made this statement over and over. We are to relate well to God and man. We are to engage the law. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And then we are to adopt new believers, which is what we're focusing on today. And then later on, we'll talk about the fact that we must multiply leaders. In fact, there's a diagram that is associated around our logo that helps us remember that. You'll see the cross of our logo in the center of that screen, surrounded by uh, the symbol for the book, the Bible, the Word of God. And if you look, there are four points on the cross. The first point is upward, where we have this vertical relationship with God. And then, of course, that vertical relationship with God spreads outward to every horizontal relationship we have. And that's really the essence of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's why we say relate is incredibly important. Relate well to God and others. Secondly, the second point on the cross is that we uh, are to engage those that are far from God. You and I must live gospel-centered lives so that we might live that life, but also so we might share it with other people. People who do not know Jesus will only come to know Jesus by looking at our lives and hearing our conversation. That's why we equip people to share the gospel. So we're to engage people with the gospel. And that's part of loving your neighbor. That's part of what Jesus was saying when he gave the great commandment and says, love God and then love others. What he said after that in the book of Luke is, let me tell you a story about what this looks like. And he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And notice some things about that, that good Samaritan that are so, so very important that the religious people just kept walking, but the Samaritan stopped and helped the man that was broken and left for dead and stripped naked, and he stopped and he helped him. And one of the definitions that we have as a result of that is a neighbor, and we are to love our neighbors. A neighbor means any fellow man, especially the one nearby, and even the one you don't like. Even the one that may not be just like you. Because you live all around neighbors that are not like you. They don't believe like you. They don't, they don't function like you. They don't have the same purpose in life. They are not like the church, which is largely like you in many ways. They are very different. But we're to love our neighbors and that we're engaged them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then thirdly, once someone comes to faith in Christ, we are to do what? We're to adopt them. We're to adopt them. Someone says, well, isn't that like discipleship? Why would you not use the word discipleship? And the reason that we're using the word adopt instead of the word discipleship is because the meaning of discipleship for all practical purposes for most people that have been in church uh, many, many years is that discipleship to many people is yet another Bible study with the same group of Christians for the 44th time. Now, there's nothing wrong with deeper Bible study. I spend hours on studying the Bible every week. You'll never go wrong by spending lots of time in the Word of God. I admonish you, spend more time in the Word of God. But I also want to admonish you that the word discipleship is not rightly just having another Bible study with a group of believers, but it is more directly and more accurately helping brand new people who come to faith in Jesus know how to walk with Jesus, therefore the word adopt. And the reason that we use the word adopt is because it's a very, very biblical term. Did you know that when you came to Christ, something happened to you positionally and something will happen to you physically? And it's called adoption. I want you to turn to Romans 8 for just a moment. Romans 8 is this amazing chapter we could spend all day in, literally. Romans 8 from verse 1 all the way to the end 
It's packed with theology and practical insights. But one of the things that Romans 8 reminds us of is our identity, who we are. Once we come to faith in Christ, and it's that word adopt that we're talking about that it uses. Look at verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Paul is simply saying, you're not just given a new set of rules and regulations when you come to Jesus. That's not what it is. You're not being brought into bondage to some law, but you're made a child of God. You are adopted by God himself. Think about the, the import of that, the power of that. You are now no longer a child of just a man and a woman. You are now a child of God. Wow, think about that for just a minute. Let that sink in. And it goes on and says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. So you're no, no longer just a human individual. You're a child of God. You're a spiritual child of God. You've been adopted by God. He's your father. You have this intimate relationship with God the Father because you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is your identity, an adopted child of God. Somebody needs to say amen about this point. It's just kind of one of those things that you should affirm. In fact, I want you to turn to someone and say, I am a child of God. Look at somebody in the eyes. I'm a child of God. Think about that, what that means. It means you have a God who loves you, who cares for you. You can call out to him. In fact, you can call out to him with such intimacy that you would say, as Paul says in Romans 8, Abba, Father, the most intimate form of saying to a heavenly father, Daddy, Dad. Daddy, Father, Abba. But that's not even the best news here. The best news is found out in verse 23 that not only are you positionally adopted, but you are one day going to be physically adopted. It says in verse 23, not only this, but we also having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. One day, you're not only going to be identified as sons and daughters of God, but you will have a body that's perfect. You will be like Jesus in every way. The Bible says we will one day see him and we'll become just like him, for we'll see him just as he really is. So your adoption not only secures for you the spiritual benefits of here and now, it not only secures for you the identity of who you are, in Jesus Christ. It secures for you the forever place where you'll be with God forever and ever and ever and ever. Now someone look at someone else and say, I really am a child of God. I really have a place that one day I will be forever and ever with Christ in heaven. Adoption is a pretty important word. And when a brand new believer comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we must take them in as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ and help them to know they too are adopted sons and daughters of God. And if you don't tell them that, they may not realize it. You know, there's an adoption movement going on in our church and in individual lives within our church. You heard that Brian and his wife, Amy, are going to China soon. Some of our friends, Russ and Don Webb, who also are very involved here at First Eulis, have an amazing story of adoption. I asked Russ if he would sit down and write a few paragraphs for me, and, and he wrote a small novel to me about their adoption process. 
but it's very, very good. And I told him, I, Russ, I would love to share all your story now. I'm going to have to do all that story later on because this story needs to be told. Russ and Don, as their story unfolds, I, I want to call it several phases of their story that they share with me. And I want to share the story of physical adoption so that you might also see how it applies to spiritual adoption. There was a period of yearning in their lives where they, as a married couple, wanted to have children were unable to do it at first. And among the conversations they had were how to do that biologically and physically, but also what medical help they could use to do that and even talked about adoption. But as that process went on, there was a story of yearning coming through. They yearned for, for children. And somewhere in that process, they realized they were able to get pregnant and their first child was born, Joey was born. And what a, what a great Great, awesome celebration they had to have, but they kept talking about adoption. And that was just something inside of their hearts. They began to talk about that, and they moved from a, talking about it to a story of trusting, as I call it. A story of trusting where they began to say, God, what would you have us do, and how would you provide that for us? After all, it takes about $30,000 plus to be able to adopt someone internationally. It's no small undertaking. And so how do you do about that? You pray and you ask God to move in a supernatural way. And during that, that time of trusting, they began to watch God move and they began to take steps of faith towards adopting. And their story moves into a time of need, a story of need, as they began to focus on the actual adoptions that are taking place in China. I want to read some of the lines that Russ wrote to me. They're powerful. In China, adoptions, virtually all children available for international adoption have some sort of a medical condition. Children with lesser needs are deemed special needs and those with greater needs are deemed special focus. We speculate that this medical need is why our children who they've adopted were abandoned by their natural parents. He goes on and writes, no matter what their physical need, they all need a loving father and a mother. The life for an orphan in China is not promising. While China is starting to have some children in foster families, most are in orphanages with many other children. Their basic needs are met in most cases, but it's very rare for a child to receive the kind of nurture that they so desperately need at these young ages. They may spend hours every day in a crib, many to the point where they stop crying out because there are simply not enough workers to tend to every need of every child. And Russ and Dawn felt that need and wanted to help meet that need. So they began to get into the process and as they talked about that process, he goes on and said, up until this point, we had no idea who we were going to adopt. Brother or sister is how we referred to our next child. Now we could see his face by picture. We knew some very small details about him as we communicated with the adoption services. We had a grainy video of him walking and crying. Our hearts were attached to a child 4,000 miles away that we'd never met before. I thought that was a powerful statement. We were going to be their parents physically and in every other way. And then he writes, on January 13th, 2014, at 2.45 in the afternoon, our son's nanny entered a room there in China full of new parents with our son. And when I first took him into my arms, he cried, and he cried, and he cried. I mean, he's writing this. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried. He cried when Dawn held him. For almost two hours, he cried like someone was trying to hurt him. The entire room looked at us. The guy who had witnessed hundreds of these events tried to help. Social workers tried to help. Nothing would comfort him. His old life, his only life he had known was being pulled away from him. He was scared. He didn't know us. We looked different from the only people he had ever known. His old life was uncomfortable. 
but it wasn't best for him. God had great things in store for him, but he had no idea, so he was terrified. And then gradually he began to warm up to them, of course. As the story unfolds, it comes down to a story of family. And this is what's really special. He said, we were able to see the crib that Samuel slept in. We had to be quiet because it was nap time and all the children were asleep. In the room were 30 to 40 sleeping children, 30 to 40 children that needed a home. It was hard to see. Each one of those lives was following a similar path as our sons. They were following the same path of a truly unknown and hard future. Our son's path had changed a few days earlier when we swore to a Chinese government official that we would always love and care for him. And just like that, with the stamping of a paper, he was now part of our family forever. And this next line. When I looked over those sleeping children, little did I know that while I didn't know who she was, my daughter was asleep in that room. We would be back 18 months later to adopt Stella. That's a powerful story. A story of yearning. A story of trusting, a story of need, a story of family. Somebody give them a hand. I mean, I'm telling you, they go a long way to God. Yeah. I promise we'll tell the whole story later and you won't want to miss it. But isn't that like what it means for a new believer to come into the world without anyone to come alongside them? But isn't that what it's like for us to know that God has taught us something in life and we're able to pass that on to somebody else with who and when and where. A time of yearning, a time of trusting, a time of need where we see the need in someone's life and we step into their life. We take that bold step of faith and say, I, I wanna walk with you, I wanna encourage you, I wanna spend time with you. And then a time of family where you all really begin to practice the family of God brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the church is. That's what we are. And that's how we are to live it out. You know, when you begin to look at the Bible, that's exactly how the New Testament church did these things. As a matter of fact, I want you to turn to Acts chapter two, another text for just a moment. I wanna talk about the, 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 the impact of this particular text that instructs us of what we do about adopting new believers. I want you to see what it says. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, Peter has preached the message of Pentecost. Verse 41 reminds us that those who had received the word were baptized, and that day they were added 3,000 souls. Now think about this. A couple of hundred brand new believers waited on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Peter began to preach the message of the gospel, and 3,000 people are baptized. Then what do we do? Then what do we do? What's next? There is no formal church building. There is no formal church organization. There is no program by which anybody proceeds forward in that day and time. What in the world did they do? And so the Bible tells us what they did. In verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those four things. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved." How can we do this? 
four ways we adopt others as brothers and sisters in Christ. Number one, teaching. The teaching of the word of God is so incredibly important for every new believer. When a, when a baby is born, they begin to cry out for milk. As they grow, they begin to cry out for meat. The word of God spiritually provides the milk and the meat for us as believers. We grow. We have a natural hunger, a spiritual hunger inside of us to know more about God, more about Jesus, more about how to live this life, more about repentance. How do I leave this old life behind? How do I interact with people now? How do I deal with temptation? How do I find purpose in life? How do I do this? How do I worship? How do I pray? All those things are so amazingly important to us and the word of God satisfies every single one of those. But this is a big book, 66 different books. Some of them are prophetic. Some of them are poetic. Some of them are apocalyptic. Some of those are apostle driven. Some of those are letters to the churches. Some of them are gospel. How do we make sense of this? Well, we adopt people and we begin to teach them the word of God. The teaching here is not simply preaching. It's not simply another Bible study. It's not merely about knowledge. You know, when you have nothing but knowledge being shared, you become very hubristic, very arrogant, very prideful in your knowledge. It's not about that. It's a relational sharing of God's word so that we can live it out. I received a letter a couple of weeks ago about an entirely different matter from one of our church members. And in that letter, he began detailing the different men that had poured into his life, men that had taught him the word of God, men that have encouraged him. And I thought, there's a whole book in that letter right there. There's a whole book about what it means for one man to adopt another or one woman to adopt another woman and say, come walk with me. Let me show you what God's taught me. And new believers must have that. It's a relational sharing of God's word, teaching. Please catch this. Discipleship is not just another Bible study. It's maturing people spiritually, telling them everything you know about Jesus. That's what the apostles' teaching was. They didn't have the entire Bible at that time. They didn't have the canon of all 66 books that we had. They had the law, they had the prophets, and then the apostles who had walked with Jesus were simply telling others, here's what we know about Jesus the Messiah. Here's what he's taught us. Here's how we live. And that's how you live as well. There is teaching. I told this story in the first service. This story came to my attention a few weeks ago. Brittany Wallace, maybe in the room, I don't know. Brittany's here, but what a story. Brittany was a young adult who knew about God growing up but didn't have interest in a personal relationship with him. But God began to draw her into a personal relationship with Christ. He got, she got connected through First Eulis and and through that, through United, our young adult ministry, and was baptized at I Am Not Ashamed last year. Ashley Chapman began to disciple her, teach her how to study the Bible for herself. And so Reed and Ashley, husband and wife, began to teach her through the Bible. Brittany joined a small group that met after United, was very involved and plugged in as the group grew. Then she prayed about starting a new group herself. So a few months ago, Brittany started and currently leads a small group of young adults hoping to adopt other new believers just as she was adopted and helping grow them up to maturity the way she was helped to grow to maturity. That's a, that's a great snapshot of adoption. I shared this in the first story and Brittany's mom and dad came up to me at the end of the service. I didn't even know they were in the service and her mom was crying and I mean, it was just a wonderful moment where she said, thank you for telling the story of our daughter. I didn't know you were gonna tell her story. I said, I didn't know her mom and dad went to church here. When we adopt people, we help them get to the next place. 
the next stage of their spiritual life and without it you can't, you can't find that next stage. Teaching is the first thing. Sharing is the second thing. The word sharing is the word koinonia. It involves sharing, communing with, participating with. It's sharing time. It's sharing life. It's sharing possessions. It's sharing truth. Doing life is the way we use that term today. We do life together. And what I would call it is it's family time in the kingdom of God. That's where we really live like brothers and sisters in Christ and not just by living by, as separate entities, but we break down the walls of biological families and we just kind of move into the spiritual families that, that we are going to interact together with. Powerful pictures come out of our connection groups and different small groups of this. And one of those is something that took place a few years ago. I'm still amazed by the story of Chris and Lisa Rallet. Some of you know them. They approached, approached us a few years ago uh, as staff asking for James 5 prayer because they realized that both of them, both Chris and Lisa Rallett, husband and wife, were battling cancer at the same time. I remember thinking, what an unusual situation that both are battling cancer at the same time. And this couple was trusting God completely. It was a wonderful time of prayer and interaction. And through that time of prayer, I, I gradually got to know them really well. As time went on, Lisa went into remission from her cancer and began to really be healthy. But Chris, however, his health deteriorated, deteriorated and later died. I was in Lisa's home uh, a day or so after that, talking about everything that unfolded. And there were all kinds of people there in the house. Family members were there, but in the backyard there was a lot of activity. And I was kind of surprised that there was so much activity in the backyard. And I asked about it and I was taken outside. And out back, her connection class, members of those class, that, those class uh, members had gathered in that backyard to, uh, to fix up the pool, the deck, and the surrounding areas to, to make it the kind of thing that Chris and Lisa had talked about making but were not going to be able to do. Chris was not going to be able to do that now. And there they were fulfilling that promise, if you will, that dream, if you will, of that backyard. And I thought, wow, what a powerful picture of community. Sharing the concerns and burdens that someone else has that they will not otherwise be able to do. And, and you and I might look at that and say, well, that's small. And I look at that and I say, no, that's huge. That says we care about you. It says we love you. And it's, it's a picture of what it means when we share our time and our energy and our resources and everything else. Sharing is such a huge thing when it comes to adopting others in Christ. I have to tell you today, when I interact with young people, even people below the age of 45 or 50, I am stunned at how dysfunctional families have been that they've grown up in. And by that, they often will volunteer. I never had a dad that told me how to do this or how to do that. Or, or my mom wasn't around and I didn't know really how to deal with dating relationships or other relationships. And, and I'm, I'm mesmerized by the fact that we have an incredible opportunity as the body of Christ, not only to impart spiritual truth, but to share our life with someone enough to share with them, how do you fix things? How do you uh, make relationships whole and healthy? How, how do you look ahead to the future? How do you plan? What do you do about life in general? That's what I mean by sharing. These people were sharing everything they had, all the knowledge they had. They were answering questions like, how do I live this out? How do I respond to my challenges, my feelings, my temptations? They were teaching. They were sharing. Number three, and you'll like this point, they were eating. They were eating. 
Now in chapter 2, verse 42, it says the breaking of bread and theologians will tell you, well, that literally means that they were having communion together. And I will not deny that that's an incredible uh, intimate time when we take the Lord's bread and the juice and we, we remember when we take communion that Christ's body was given for us and that his blood was shed for us. But you have to also remember that in New Testament times when they broke bread and worshiped the Lord, they afterwards had what's called a love feast. They ate together. It's what I call the early Baptist practice of potluck suppers. Has anybody in the room ever not heard of a potluck? I mean, it doesn't sound all that great if you don't know the context, right? Potluck. What are we going to look into tonight, right? Or not look into? I grew up around potlucks, man. I knew what women made what dish when I was 10 years old. I knew that. I knew what those dishes looked like. I knew which way I was going, how much I was going to get. I knew where I was in line. As a preacher's kid, I was first in line every time. Maybe that's why they say the preacher's kids are the worst kinds. I don't know. <laughs> Something happened in those potlucks, though. Not only did you gather, but you rejoiced. You had fun. You laughed. You ate. It wasn't about business. It wasn't about uh, doing church. It was just about doing life. Part of adopting people means eating with people. Taking them to dinner. Inviting them to your house. Have a cookout with somebody. Invite people new to your house that have never been there before, but interact with them and walk with them through life. Something special happens. There's a sense of family that happens. Hospitality takes place, which is one of the, the great qualities of the New Testament church. Hospitality. One of my friends in the church, and he's here today, Andrew Firesheets. Andrew, you just never know when I'm going to tell a story about you, brother. Because Andrew came to faith here and I mean, God has really worked in his life in a huge way. And he was over fixing my air conditioner the other day. And we got to talking. It just reminded me all the things that Andrew has experienced here at First Eulis. And everything I've just said, he's kind of said and echoed back in, in a variety of ways. One day he invited me to his small group. They met at Denny's and they had breakfast over at Denny's. And they were over there meeting. I watched uh, him interact with several of the guys that were close in his accountability group. And I came to realize at that point when I was over there that we probably have kept Denny's in business over the last 20 years here at First Eulis. <laughs> I know First Eulis ladies that play dominoes at Denny's. And I don't know how many pancakes I've had there. But a lot of discipleship has taken place over meals there. And Andrew described the fact that his dad never taught him the things that some of these other men have because they're sharing lives and meals with him. They're pouring into him. This is one on fire brother in Christ, I have to tell you, in part because others have adopted him. You see, we adopt each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's a very, very serious thing. Christ would want every one of his children to be well cared for. Every one of his children to be encouraged, built up, strengthened, poured into. Young, old, doesn't matter. What background, doesn't matter. If they come to faith in Jesus, that becomes family. Race doesn't matter. Geographical location doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, you are a brother and sister in Christ. We teach, we share, we eat, and we pray. We pray. Praying means being burdened about what they're being burdened by, caring enough to carry the load to the Lord 
in prayer. I have to tell you that over the, my life in ministry, there are certain people that have made it their business to pray for me. And I cannot tell you the affection in my heart that comes out when I know they pray for me. And I'm thankful for all the prayers. I'm convinced I'm one of the most prayed for people uh, around. And I should be one of the most prayed for people in the world. I need to be one of the most prayed for people in the world. I've always felt that. I'm always standing in the need of prayer and I'm deeply grateful for it. But let me just tell you, when I know someone is praying for me, my heart just goes out to them. There's just a love there that's just amazing. And when you pray for other people, that's what happens in that relationship between you and them. You pray for them and God begins to move in their lives and you recognize that, see that, call it out for what it is. Not coincidence, not good luck. That's God moving in your life. That's God answering a prayer. And if you go to Acts chapter two and you'll see the unfolding of that prayer, it says in verse 42, they were committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then it says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Wow. Prayer. Somebody says, well, what you've described is what my connection group does a lot. And I want to say, fantastic. You're on target then. Multiply that. Replicate that. Open up margins in your life where you can personally participate if you're not. And if you're a leader, lead well and lead your people to do these things with others. Teach, share, eat, pray. Teach, share, eat, pray. And let me ask you a question in the midst of all this. In the midst of all this, when's the last time you looked around and found someone new to your circle and invited them to be in your life? Because there are people who need to be in your life and you need to be in their lives. Who knows what you'll learn from them? Who knows what you'll teach them? I want to challenge you today. One of the invitations that I'm going to give you today. Invite someone to connect with you today. Invite someone that you wouldn't normally be with to be with you. Invite someone to lunch, to coffee, to meet next week, to sit down and to say, what can I do? to help you become more like Christ and have the conversation that involves family matters growing in Christ. I'm so thankful for the fact that Bob Burgess poured into me and I've had many people since that time pour into me. But I have to tell you, I don't know that I'd be very far spiritually at all without somebody that said, that kid over there, that tall kid, the freshman that doesn't know up from down, I'm going to pour into his life. And let's see what God would do. I'm thankful that Bob had that kind of vision. You have that kind of vision. You adopt. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. Close your eyes. I want you to think about someone that may have been placed in your life that you have yet to respond to that way. And I want you to imagine the possibilities of that. You're relating well to God and others. You're engaging those that are far from God. But maybe you've been able to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ. If that's true, it's time to adopt them. If you've not led someone to Christ, but you know around you are people who are brand new believers or just haven't had a chance to mature yet, adopt them. They may walk with you for a time. They may walk with you for years or just days or weeks. 
but tell them everything you know about following Jesus. And listen to what they say. Watch how God works. Because see, when you adopt someone, you're in that powerful cycle that allows someone to become mature in Christ and impact the world around them. I'm gonna ask that you stand, and as you stand, we're preparing to pray our final prayer today. I'm gonna invite our prayer people to be at the front, and I wanna invite you to come and pray. As soon as I conclude the service in prayer, we want you to take the time to walk forward and talk to one of these individuals. Some of you may have never put your faith in Christ before. This is the time to do it. Others need to prayerfully consider, how do I take the next steps from what I've heard today? Take it serious. God wants to use you in the body of Christ. Bow with me as we pray. Father, I want to thank you today that there are people who look around and adopt others to lead them to maturity. And Father, I pray that we would all do that. Thank you for adopting us into the family of God. Thank you so much for allowing us to be sons and daughters. Thank you for promising never to leave us and never to forsake us. But Father, thank you also for placing people around us that will help us, that will encourage us, that will urge us on. Because we need encouragement, Father. I pray today that you'll allow us to see who we can encourage, who we can reach out to. And Father, do something special today as a result of obeying this command to love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.